God, your word, your Bible has a storyline from the beginning until the end. And that storyline is a story of a loving God that desires to reconcile every man, woman, and child to himself. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to open your word. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would protect your word, that you would superintend over your time. God, I pray that you would, as Chris prayed, that you would just use me as a vessel. Father, please take me out of the way. Don't let me add any offense to the word. And God, I pray that your word would impact our hearts, each of us, where we're at here today. God, I pray that we would leave here today more in awe and more in love with you and more dedicated and more surrendered to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 13? And if you didn't bring a Bible, there's Pew Bibles, and it's in uh, chapter 13. I do not have it on the screen, and we're going to read the entire chapter together. And can we try something a little bit different? Would you stand up as I read this, please? So Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abram called out, or called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen, we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered, everywhere like the, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give you, and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, and I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Please be seated. As we take a look at the first four verses in chapter 13, we need to review on where we've been in chapter 12. In in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we saw that God commanded Abram to leave Haran. He commanded Abram to leave everything that was familiar to him, to leave his family, and to journey to a land that he had no idea what was there. And we see God making promises to Abram. He promised to make him a mighty name, a great name. He promised to bless him materially. He told Abram that those material blessings for the purpose of blessing others. He told Abram that he would make him a great nation, Israel. 
And he told Abram that he would bless all the families of the earth, talking about the messianic prophecy, the seed from Eve that was going to crush the serpent's head was eventually going to make its way through Abram and Sarai. Abram was obedient. He left. He left without asking questions. He worshipped the Lord. As soon as he got to the land that the Lord showed him, he built an altar and he worshipped. Then a great famine came on the land. Canaan became a land of famine. Abram picked up Sarai, Lot, the rest of the servants, the rest of the clan, and they journeyed down to Egypt. The reason they went to Egypt was because the Nile was there, and the Nile made it a very fertile land. While in Egypt, Abram had a crisis of faith. He saw that Sarai was beautiful. She was 65 years old. Abram was about 75 years old. And he told Sarai to lie. He said, Sarai, tell them, tell them in this land that you are my sister so that it may be well with me. So Abram operated out of fear and self-protection. And whenever we operate out of fear and self-protection, we can't trust the Lord. It's impossible. And whenever we fear, it's always going to lead to self-protection. So Abram started scheming and figuring out a way to preserve his life. Well, God brought about great plagues upon Egypt. He says great plagues. We don't know exactly what the plagues were, but we do know that Pharaoh came to Abram and said, Abram, why did you do this? Why did you lie to me? Why did you tell me that Sarai was your sister and not your wife? And the bottom line is is that Pharaoh gave Sarai back to Abram. He gave Abram all kinds of wealth, camels and donkeys and gold and silver, and he sent them on their way. And what we saw there is God's amazing grace and mercy. And God dealt with Abram the same way he deals with you and I. And so often, we want to beat ourselves up. And that's kind of my modus operandi. That's the way I do things. Is that when I blow it, I beat myself up. When people in my family blow it, I beat them up. And God is the God of second chances. The reason that Jesus came to die for us is because we are sinners. So that gives you just a little bit of history of what went on in chapter 12. And now back up to verses 1 through 4 in chapter 13. It says that they left Egypt and they wandered into the Negev. The Negev is is far south Canaan. It's as far south in Canaan as you can get. Canaan is north of Egypt. So they traveled out of Egypt to the Negev. They kept on going north from the Negev and landed right in between Bethel and Ai. And he went right to the place where he had built the altar previously and had worshipped the Lord. And this blows me away. And we don't know exactly why Abram went to the same place he had built the altar before. But I can only imagine that if I was in Abram's shoes and I had a crisis of faith and I sinned the way that Abram sinned and I lied to the Lord and I lied to Sarai, my wife, and then to see God deal with me with mercy and with grace, that would just drive me to my knees and it does drive me to my knees. So often when we sin, we want to run from God, don't we? We want to run from God. I can't tell you many people over the years that I've, I've seen them running because they don't feel like God is big enough to forgive them. Abram remembered the promises of the Lord, and he made a beeline to where he first worshipped the Lord, a place that was familiar to him. 1 John 1, 8-10 says, if, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, folks, Abram was forgiven, just like you and I are forgiven 
whether we ask for forgiveness or not. Okay? But don't miss this. Abram knew this, that when we ask the Lord for forgiveness, we're agreeing with him that we blew it, that we dropped the ball, that we sinned, that we missed the mark. Abram also knew that there was no condemnation. He believed the promises of God that God would never leave him nor forsake him. It says in Romans 4, 3 through 8, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That drove Abram to the altar. That drove him to worship the Lord. We had a discussion in our community group the other night on the importance of remembering our sin, remembering where we've come from. And this is new to me in the last couple of years. You know, I've always operated that I did not want to revisit my past. I didn't want to revisit it because my past is behind me. My past is ugly. And it says in 2 Corinthians that the old is gone, the new has come, and I'm a new creation. So therefore, I didn't want to visit it. But folks, I think it is very important to remember what it is you've been saved from. Because if you don't remember what it is you've been saved from, you lose sight of the magnificence of what Christ did for us. And I believe Abram went to this altar, worshipped the Lord, confessing his sin, and thanking the Lord for saving one such as he. Let's take a look at verses 5 through 7. It goes on to say that Lot went with Abram. Lot was wealthy. Lot had flocks. Lot had herds. Lot had gold and silver. And the land that they were in could not support both of them dwelling together. Abram at this time had about a thousand people in his clan. That's a conservative estimate by the commentaries I read. About a thousand people in his clan were traveling together in tents with herds. And Lot had his own family with them as well. And then in the land itself were Canaanites and Perizzites. And the land was just not capable of handling all those people. Okay, a little bit akin to my family reunion experience. At some point, that if you live in in close proximity to people, there's going to be problems. It says in God's Word that there will be tribulations in this life. Not there might be tribulations, but there will be tribulations. Tests and trials are a given, and they are even more of a given when you're operating in proximity with other people. This even goes for marriage. that's, That's one of those duh things. It even goes for marriage. Marriage is one of the most sanctifying relationships on the planet. Marriage is good. The reason that there's conflict in marriage is it's two sinful human beings in the flesh trying to cohabitate together, both demanding their own rights, and there is going to be conflict in marriage. There doesn't have to be because God has come to overcome that. Jesus came to overcome sin, and we've got the power of the Holy Spirit in us. But whenever there's people together, particularly large sums of people, there's going to be problems. In John 16, 33, it says, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Verse 8, Then Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen, we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, folks, there are wrong ways to solve conflict. There's wrong ways to to solve conflict. And one of the wrong ways to do that is to ignore the problem and hope it goes away. And men, we are very good at this in our marriages. 
The 6,000-pound gorilla is in the room, and that's the conflict. And we act like there's, there's nothing wrong. The wrong way to handle conflict is to ignore it. Another wrong way to handle it is to stand up for your rights. Guess what? As Christians, we have no rights. We have no rights. The only right that we have, or the only thing that you and I deserve, is what? Is hell. You and I deserve hell. And guess what? Everything else is a what? A good day. Everything else is a good day. So we have no rights, and to stand up for your rights when there's conflict is the wrong way to handle it. Giving somebody the peace of your mind, get in their face, is the wrong way to handle conflict. And to play the authority card. Abram had a right to play the authority card. He was a patriarch. He led everybody out of Haran. He helped Lot amass his wealth. And Abram could have easily played the authority card. Saying, Lot, you get the desert. I'll take the good land. But instead, Abram did the following. As we take a look at biblical conflict resolution, first and foremost is to acknowledge the conflict. Does that surprise you? Because I think we live in a society today that when there's conflict, you just ignore it and you pretend that'll go away. And we know that doesn't work in marriage. It doesn't work in business. It doesn't work in the church. And one of the things I appreciate about our leadership team at Windsor Community Church is not that there's conflict, but that I'm serving with a bunch of guys that are not yes men that they're not afraid to acknowledge when we're on a different page. They're not afraid to acknowledge when, when I've stepped out of bounds. They're not afraid to acknowledge when they feel like I'm going the wrong way. Second way is to lay down your rights to be treated in a certain way. Again, we have no rights. You have no right. You don't deserve to be treated a certain way. I'm sorry. You deserve hell. Don't stop there, though. You're not getting hell. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are eternally secure, never going to receive the wrath of God. Third, before you go into a conflict situation to address it, forgive first. Don't wait until the person has asked you to forgive them. Don't you dare address conflict or somebody on the other end of that conflict before you've forgiven them in your heart. Because if you haven't forgiven them in your heart, what's going to happen? You're going to blast them. You're going to point out all the ways that they're wrong. Next, think of others as more important than yourself. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That is a verse that is perfect for conflict. Because if I am continually trying to treat Nancy as more important than myself, and Joey is more important than myself, our leadership team is more important than myself, there's not going to be conflict. But the problem with me and with most of us is that we're so busy wanting to defend our rights and let others know, particularly our spouses, how important we are. Guys, don't miss this. And I know this isn't a marriage sermon, but it always comes back to marriage in my head. 
because it is the most sanctifying relationship and it's where the most conflict is. Two out of three marriages in America now end in divorce. Yes, God's word says that my bride, my wonderful bride of 29 years, is to respect me. She's to respect me. But here's what can't happen. You need to respect me. I don't have a right to demand that. Just like she doesn't have a right to be loved. God calls me to love her, and I want to love her like Christ loves a church and lay my life down for her. But she doesn't have a right for me to love her. You see what I'm saying? This is really important because if you don't get this, you're never going to be able to figure out how to work through conflict. Okay? It's always looking at the other person is more important than yourself and not demanding that they treat you that way. We'll revisit that. Give them more than they ask for. When there's conflict, folks, I've got two sons, and they are athletes, they play sports, and I take, I used to take pride, and sometimes I still do. When somebody knocks them down on the soccer field, when they get back up and they just kind of walk in and go, oh, good job, Joey. Where do we get that from? Where do we get that from? That's not what Jesus did. He turned the other cheek. When somebody sued someone for their coat, he gave them their cloak. When somebody asked for a mile, he walked with them two miles. We've got it so backwards. Conflict resolution is thinking of somebody as more important than yourself, turning the other cheek. Folks, I do not have this down. I do not have this down. Usually when somebody wrongs me, particularly in an athletic situation, I want to rip their throat out. But God has called me to a higher standard than that, and he's given me a power to overcome that. Last is be gentle, humble, and patient. Gentle, humble, and patient. Think about what Abram did. Abram is the patriarch. Abram is listed over 80 times in the New Testament. Hebrews 11 is it's written more about him than any other person in that chapter, the, the hall of faith. He could have demanded that Lot take the desert. And instead what he did is he said, why don't you t- just look around, Lot, whatever land you want to take, you take it. Whatever you want to take, you take it. Here's what Lot did. You would think that Lot would go, no, Abram, thank you. Thank you, Uncle Abe. Appreciate the kind gesture. You've taken good care of me. You've helped me get the wealth that I have right now. You know what? Why don't, why don't you take the lush valley and I'll stay up here on top of the mountain? No, here's what Lot did. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley below that was well watered everywhere like the Garden of the Lord, literally like the Garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a reason that this little parenthesis is here. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Check verse 13 out. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Why, oh why, 
Did Moses drop that verse in there when he was writing this? Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. We'll talk about that in a minute. Lot chose what was pleasing to his eye. Lot walked by sight, not by faith. Just the opposite. What the author's doing here is he's contrasting Abram to Lot. Abram walked by faith and not by sight. Lot walked by sight and not by faith. Lot was motivated by temporal comfort and ease, much like us here in America. Do you know that God did not call us? He did not call you to a happy, comfortable, convenient life. Hate to break that news to us here in America. He did not call us to a happy, comfortable, convenient life. Does he bless us with material things? Absolutely. When he does it, we do enjoy it? Absolutely. But he did not call us to a comfortable, happy life. Newsflash. Lot was motivated by the prospects of increased wealth. Lot saw this valley down below in the town of Sodom where people were prospering. And he wanted that. He was motivated by wealth. Proverbs 23, 4 through 5 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. You see, Lot lived with a temporal perspective. Abram lived with an eternal perspective. Lot did not seek counsel from his uncle, who loved him like a son. And last, discipline is coming Lot's way. Now, it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, you know what it says about Lot? That he was a righteous man. Lot's not a bad man. Lot is a righteous man. If you know Jesus Christ, if you've been born again, Lot is the same as you and I. He's a righteous man. And it says in Hebrews 12 that our Father in heaven disciplines us like a loving father disciplines his son. The context there is is not that God is waiting for us to make a mistake so he can slap us upside the head, but when we know the truth, when we know what's right and we shake our fist at God anyways, he loves us so much that he's going to gently discipline us back. And discipline is coming Lot's way. We're going to see it next week in chapter 14, and we're going to see it in a big way in chapter 19 when Abram intercedes on Lot's behalf, and then God snuffs out the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verses 14 through 16. So Lot's taken off. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes, Abram, and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Okay, I can only imagine what's going on in Abram's head. Abram was down in Egypt scheming and lying. And then the Lord extended mercy to him. He comes back, worships the Lord, and then his nephew who he loves takes off. And Abram's got to know what's going on, that, that his nephew is taken off for the area of Sodom. And that he's going to get disciplined. And i got to believe that Abram is, is brokenhearted. And God told Abram to lift up your eyes 
and look from the place that you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. You know, there's different places in Scripture where, where God talks about the Israelites being innumerable. Right here he talks about Abram's offspring being like the dust of the earth. We see in chapter 15 where, where God says that Abram's offspring will be like the stars of the sky. Now, Abram continued to walk by faith and not by sight. He knew that God promised this land to him and that God would fulfill his promises. Abram gave up the pursuit of happiness for the promises of God. His focus was on the eternal glory and not on the temporal comfort of wealth. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. Would you open that up? Keep your finger in Genesis. Open up 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. It's after the Gospels, then Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4, verse 17 through 18. This journey for Abram was not a picnic. He had a lot of people he was responsible for. The area that he was living did not have a lot of water. Lots of trials. And I know there's lots of trials for, all, for a lot of you that are in here as well. Second Corinthians 4 says this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And Abram kept his eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of his faith. He stepped out not knowing what was ahead of him. In verse 17, God says to Abram, Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, and I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre which were at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. It's the fourth altar that Abram has built. And it's just, what it's telling us is that he was a man who not only obeyed, but he continued to worship and sacrifice to the Lord. What about you? What is it in your life that you're not trusting the Lord for? Abram was able to trust the Lord in conflict. I know firsthand that there's conflict in many of your lives. There's sickness. There's financial issues. There's wayward kids. Your marriages, some of them aren't where you like them to be, where God would like them to be. But God has a plan. His plan is outlined in here. He tells us that he gives us everything we need for life and for godliness. And let me ask you the question, which conflict in your life are you not trusting the Lord for? We saw Abram last week fearful, and he started scheming. He tried to figure out a way to protect himself and protect his wife. What are you trying to protect? Is it your reputation? Is it your bank account? Is it that retirement, that American dream? You know, I think the time is short. I think the time is short. I don't know when the Lord's coming back, but it could be tomorrow. It could be my great-grandchildren around. 
But I do know this, that the time is short. And it doesn't matter. As John Piper says, when we get to heaven, the Lord isn't going to ask to see our seashell collection because we spent our retired years collecting seashells. He wants to know that we completely surrendered to him, that we were powered by the Holy Spirit, and that we desired to maximize our vapor for him. What are you not trusting the Lord for? If there's anybody here today that has not put your faith and trust in Jesus, that you're involved in the ultimate conflict. Because you have set yourself against a holy God. And when you've set yourself against a holy God, He is just. And you will experience His wrath. But the good news is is that Jesus came to die for you. And that there's a solution to this conflict with God the Father. And the solution is in the person of Jesus Christ, who left the Godhead, became a man, walked a perfect life, perfect, sinless life. And he willingly went to the cross and took all of your sin, every man, woman, and child on the planet, took our sin upon himself, for those who put their faith and trust in him, took our sin upon himself, He clothed you and I with His righteousness if you put your faith in Him. So can I urge you, as I look around the room, if there's anybody, only you know, it's between you and the Lord, if you've not put your faith and trust in God, there's a solution to that conflict. And that's to believe that Jesus did come to die for you. Acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And if you wrestling with this in your heart, come talk to me. Talk to Pastor Chris. Talk to one of the leadership. Because there's nothing I'd rather do than be able to explain to you the good news of Jesus Christ. And to be able to have a front row seat on God removing the scales from your eyes. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and worship you. God, we thank you that you came to seek and save the lost. We thank you that that the conflict that we had with you, that you sent Jesus to make it right. You sent Jesus to be our mediator. And Lord, each of us have little, little, little conflicts in our life, Lord, that, that still bug us, that still jab us, that still get under our skin. And Lord, I know in my life there's, there's conflict that I have because I operate in my flesh and not in the Spirit. And Father, would you just show us any areas of conflict with, with people, maybe with perceived rights that we have? And Lord, would, we just, we just want to give you these relationships and ask that you would heal them, particularly here in the local body of Christ. Father, if there is any conflict... Lord, I don't, I don't know of any outward conflict. But God, if there's any conflict in the heart, if there's anything that, that, we, that one man has against another man, a woman has against another woman, Lord, would you just give us the strength, the courage, the humility to resolve that conflict as we've seen Abram do here in your word. 
Lord, I too pray that if anybody here is without a true saving faith, Lord, I pray that today would be the day. Lord, you know our hearts. We love you. We thank you that you've shed your blood for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.